Well, this was an episode that I never expected to record. I'm creating this just four days after the tragic news that Shane Warne, the greatest bowler of all time, and my mate has died, aged just 52. At 2.25pm on Friday, I received an email from a colleague that I was having a meeting with later, and it said, so sorry to hear the news, mate. Let me know if you want to reschedule the meeting. I know you two were close. I had no idea what that meant, of course, but I went straight onto the internet and there it was in black and white. Cricketer Shane Warne dies of a heart attack, aged 52. Bang. I don't think I've ever been so shocked and stunned. Warney was invincible. They must have made a mistake. He must be on his way to hospital. But headline after headline kept coming as news circled around the world. What can I do? Who can I speak to? Where can I go? I wasn't sure whether I wanted to get closer to the story or further away. But as the hours inched forward, the news looked less likely to change. He was dead. I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't make sense of it. I just knew I'd lost someone special. Someone who changed my life. I first met Warney from 22 yards away, like most cricketers, as the Herculean opponent. I was playing for the combined universities against the Aussies. It was June the 23rd, 1993. And this was one of their warm-up games before the tests against England. And I think they enjoyed the student bashing that they gave us under the Oxford sun. I remember Mark Waugh was at slip while I was batting and I was blocking the legendary spinner for my life. I was loving it, but I think they must have been so bored. And Mark Waugh chirped, Hey Warney, bowl him the goldfish. Now I was feeling humiliated enough at his bowling without having the piss taken out of me as well. So Warney chuckled to himself at the back of his mark and stood there puckering his lips open and closed like a goldfish as he ran up and then shouted, Flipper! as he let the skidding delivery loose. He was naughty, mischievous, but still landed the ball with perfect pitch and pace as his teammates rolled on the floor laughing. I didn't get many runs in that match, but it didn't really matter. I'd face the legend, Shane Warne. Fast forward 15 years and after finishing my MSc in psychology, I'd started to support sports teams and business teams in parallel with the twilight of my own playing career. I was asked by Manoj Badali, the owner of the Rajasthan Royals, to go and check out his new IPL investment. The IPL was brand new at the time. It was unknown. It was an unknown concept. And it was the billionaires of India were throwing the best talent in the world together into an auction and buying them and placing them into different teams. I was told when I asked for more information that all I needed to know was that We were the Rajasthan Royals and the player coach that I needed to work closely with was Shane Warne. So you can imagine my trepidation arriving in Jaipur as the blonde bombshell met me in the hotel reception. Would he blank me? Would he ignore me? He stuck his hand out. Snapey, good to meet you, champion. I couldn't believe my luck. Now, Warney's reputation preceded him. He didn't really like coaches. In fact, he thought the only coach a sports team needed was to drive them to the stadium. So I was meant to be there for 10 days to help the team set up and to give manager report before coming back to play for Leicestershire. But for Warney, 10 days of psychobabble was six too many and he booked me a flight on his personal account after just four days, just in case. 
Now, I didn't know that, of course, otherwise it would have been undue pressure. But he later informed me of the story, accompanied by cackling laughter from under a plume of smoke in his hotel suite. So myself and Darren Berry, his mate and assistant coach from Victoria, formed the Rajasthan Royals think tank. Who would we pick? How would we play? What messages were needed? And how could we bring this team together for the richest and highest profile domestic tournament in the world? Well, Warning was like a magician. The local boys especially couldn't believe they were in the same room as their hero. In one meeting, I heard one of the youngsters behind me sniffling. And I said, are you okay? His eyes were streaming and he mumbled, I can't believe my captain is Shane Warne. Everyone raised their game and Warney fed off their energy. The IPL was pure Hollywood, with music, fireworks and 30 stunning cheerleaders brought in from the Washington Redskins to wave their pom-poms at our first home game. Warney was in his element and hardly even warmed up. I think he must have enjoyed the music. He asked me to catch a few balls in the baseball mitt as he was getting ready and I saw it as a sign that he was beginning to trust me. As we walked out, he said, tell me what you see, mate. What could I possibly tell the best spinner of all time? I think he just wanted reassurance. He'd still got it, you know, he knew that, but he just wanted to test it out because this was the back end of his career and the stakes were so high with players like Coley, Dhoni, Flintoff, Gale, Sachin, all strutting their stuff live on global television. So I positioned myself behind the single stump at the end of the 22 yards, spread my feet and my balance and spread my mitt wide. The first ball dipped and fizzed off the wicket like the gatting ball and had to be thrown back from the crowd 50 yards behind me. The second one was a flipper and it nearly hit me in the sternum. And the third one was a googly. I misread it, went the wrong way and hit me flush on the inside of my left knee. He just laughed and said, that'll do, mate, thanks. I hobbled off and he went off to toss the coin live on TV with a beaming smile and creaked his neck looking back at the cheerleaders as he ran off to get changed. I've got so many amazing memories of him, just moments like that. And over the weekend, I dug out one of the hard drives of images from that magical year when we won the IPL. I'll add a link in the show notes to where I can post them. And between the celebrations and the practice sessions, there was loads of downtime as we travelled round India for this six or seven week tournament. I'd forgotten that I'd actually sat down with him one afternoon and captured an audio interview with him. I was fascinated by his mind. The sound may not be perfect in these clips, but there are three insights that he shares, which I think really sum him up. And I wanted to celebrate those. There's been an incredible outpouring of emotion in the last few days and I know we're all trying to work out why he's left such a hole in our lives and in the game of cricket. I think we'll only be able to see that in the months ahead. But for me, he had an incredible aura which was magnetic. Everyone wanted to be around him, whether it was on the pitch or off the pitch. And I think the gift that Warney had was to make people feel special. He gave them confidence. Life was an adventure to Warney and he loved being in the spotlight. He drew you in. So picture the scene. The king is in his shorts and flip-flops, chilling after practice. He's pushed his margarita pizza to the side and stubbed out his cigarette. He leans forward and lets the wisdom flow. The first insight is around his confidence. As ever, 
His flippant and mischievous side was never far away. But once I press record, he just delivered. Oh, Muppet, I'll be fucking laughing most of the time. Come on. <clears throat> right, you've obviously described as one of the most confident cricketers in the world. Um, where does that confidence come from for you? I think confidence is something that you develop. I think generally people carry themselves in a certain way and have got certain body language, which I'm pretty big on. I think confidence comes from being in situations and performing. I don't think you can say, oh, I would do well in that situation, but, and then you don't handle, you can't handle that situation until you've actually been in it, and then you can get confidence from performing in that situation. And the more you do it, obviously the more confidence you can get. There's also an inner, inner part of that is wanting to do well in the tough situations, wanting to have the ball in your hand, and saying, well, you know what, I'm gonna stick my chest out here and do the business. And then it's a matter of actually trying to clear everything in your head and just actually, what do I have to do? And whatever the plan is at that stage, uh, what your plan is, just a matter of execution. So you try and put yourself in the best possible space in your head to actually deliver what you wanna do. And sometimes you're not clear on what the plan is, so that's what can sometimes cloud your judgment. So once you know what your plan is, it's a matter of execution. And most of the time, if you're clear, you'll, you'll deliver it. If you're not clear and you're not quite sure, that's when you won't deliver it. So confidence, I think, gets from experience in those positions and being in that position and performing, in, obviously, in the tough situations. So Warney's formula for confidence is to throw yourself into testing positions, decide on a clear, singular point of focus, and then stick your chest out and execute with 100% commitment. There's no place for fear, doubt or hesitation. Just keep it simple and commit. Forget what's gone before. This is the best ball I'm ever going to bowl. This is the best speech I'm ever going to deliver. This is the best exam I'm ever going to sit. Now you might not have the perfect strategy, but you commit 100% and then adapt, read the game quickly. And if Warney failed, he'd get straight into the competition and get straight back into action. This is what separated him. Where most people would avoid the pressure, he'd go in search of it. He'd want to bowl at Lara or Sachin. He'd want the ball for the last over. He was a born winner that wanted the buzz of a tight situation as much as he wanted the result. There were so many times when he backed himself and it came off. I suppose it just became a self-fulfilling prophecy. We can all picture him at the end of his mark, zinc across his nose, flipping the ball up in the air with his tongue out as he builds the tension. His aura and body language was amazing. He created panic and doubt before the ball even left his fingers. Warney called this aura his Hasselhoff theory, after David Hasselhoff, the lead star of Baywatch, who could be seen flexing his pecs as he scanned the California surf for someone to save. Again, it gives us a great insight inside the mind of this sporting genius. The Hasselhoff theory to me, no matter what is going on in the game, you should always look like you're in charge and you should always look like you, anything could happen. You, you never, it's only the next ball could change the whole game. And I think that is, um, a body language thing. If your body language is, you know, oh, it's all over, we're finished, we're gone, this bloke whacks me all the time. Every time I bowl against this bloke, he smashes me, I don't want to bowl to him. If you've got that, that, that can be contagious in the team too. So I think it's important that 
everybody's like that no matter what, no matter what the situation, somebody's can turn the game. And I think as a leader, the more you're like that, the more that other people can follow you and the more that they, they believe and they, and they just think anything could happen. And I think that's one of the beauties of the sport is that anything can happen. You never know what's gonna happen. So when you're out there and you're confident and you say, right, I'm, I'm in charge, here we go, we can do this, this ball's gonna change the whole game. If you have that attitude all the time, then sometimes some special things can happen. But you, and well, you got more chances for something special happening than you know, if you're dragging your sorry ass around, you got no chance. So there are a few elements here and the physical and psychological elements are linked. You can't feel happy and confident if you're slumping your shoulders and hips. And you can't feel sad if your shoulders are back and your chin's up. Our posture affects our mood and our mood affects our posture. Warney knew this instinctively and built it into his game plan. His grit and inner confidence fused with this constant optimism made him believe that he was never beaten. He could win from any situation and this next ball was going to be the one that would shift the momentum in his favour. How amazing to have that power of belief. Combine that with the body language and aura telling everyone that he was about to dominate them and it's easy to see why he did. As he said, what's the alternative? To have a self-defeating attitude before you even start? Then the final of these three golden lessons really typifies Warney. I asked him his secret for recovering from tough situations and adversity and he describes one of his memorable catchphrases. Yeah, it was something I've lived by in my cricket life. Uh, when I faced adversity, whether it be off-field sponsorship, wh whatever it is, um, something I've sort of lived is, is, is find a way. So no matter what is thrown at you, you always find a way to succeed. At times, you know, it might take a little bit of time to get through it. It might take you a month, two months, three months to write it out. But you find a way to get over it find a way to overcome it, find a way to stick your chest out and say, you know what, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here, you know, I'm not going away. You know, and, and try and do things on your terms. And I think that's a finding a way makes, with all the issues that you actually have, can make you mentally stronger. Because there are things that will always test you, whether just in life, whether it be business, going to school as a, as a teenager, whether it be bullies or whether it be not involved in anything. So you'll always get tested and it's about how you respond to that and how you respond to the test. And that, to me, is finding a way. Find a way to overcome it. You can shy away from it and just ignore it, but then sometimes it eats away at you. So you've got to find a way to overcome that. Whatever it is, your fears, whatever, find a way. And it's sort of really, it's your adrenaline goes and it's very rewarding to, when you have found a way to however many tough situations it seems, to actually find a way to get through it and come through the other side, it's pretty rewarding. So when he was bowling on a flat wicket, he had to outthink the batsman. When the papers were on his back, he had to ride it out until it was his time to shine again. He never hid. He faced things head on and as a result, had no time festering and dwelling. He just had this steely resolve inside him that he would endure. He would be a success again. I have to say I've shed many a tear over the last few days but I felt like I wanted to share some of his own inspirational words to show some of the reasons why I admired him so much. In a way, we were opposites. I was a cautious and conservative pommy advisor and he was the headstrong Aussie hedonist. But somehow it worked 
and I feel so lucky to have spent quality time with him. When Warney backs you, some of his magical aura rubs off. He made people feel 10 feet tall. And although I didn't see him regularly, we were in touch often and I got to see him both in his element playing air guitar in parties to 80s rock anthems after a win and also in moments when he needed support. He was a generous and loyal friend and despite his fame and bravado, he really loved helping people. I'm sure you've got your own personal reasons for loving Warney and you'll have images in your mind of moments that you'll treasure. He didn't try and copy anyone. He was one of a kind and of course he made mistakes but none of us are perfect. It's just his mistakes were on the front page of the newspaper. Maybe that's why we can all relate to him. We saw a record-breaking human through highs and through the lows. Throughout the turbulence, his family have always been a huge part of his life. He'd always have pictures on his phone and in his room with Keith and Bridget, his mum and dad, Jason, his brother, and his children, Brooke, Summer and Jackson, that he loves so much. We're all thinking of you so much. The saddest part is that we won't get to hear his cheeky banter or incisive views on the game again. The full arc of his life remains incomplete. Maybe that's the best way to remember him. It's like the ball of the century is frozen in midair. It's above our eye line, fizzing with spin, and the world is watching, gripped by what might happen next. Maybe that's just as the king would have loved it. I'm not sure we'll ever fully get over his early departure, but if we learn from his own advice, we'll find a way. Thanks for everything, mate. Rest in peace.